Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we have the great pleasure of talking about the Ravens offense today from that Miami game with none other than Cordell Woodland of 105.7. Cordell, how are you doing? What's going on, Ken? Life's good, my friend. And uh, let's let's talk about your big personal news. You've, you've put it out there on social media, so it's fair game in this in this discussion. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, man. Got engaged uh, over the Christmas holiday, uh, you know, made that special holiday even better. So, uh, you know, 2023 was a, was a great year for me. Got to cap it off in a great way. So hopefully 2024 will be able to somehow double it. All right. Outstanding. Uh, seems like a keeper and, and uh, uh, it's seemed like a very happy couple just from the pictures we've seen certainly on social media. So I hope, wish, wish you both the best. Thank you. And it is, this game, it could not be a happier new year. I don't think for the Baltimore Ravens right now, the number one seed is secured. Um, what do you think this means to the team in terms of rest at this point? I think it means a lot. You know, uh, Odell Beckham talked about that, you know, uh, going into the game, uh, that this is a veteran team. You know, they have guys such as himself who are playing through injuries right now. And, um, look, it'll be a challenge for John Harbaugh because even if we're talking about this Pittsburgh game, he can't sit everybody, um, even though I'm sure he'd like to. So I am curious to see how he goes about um, putting that starting lineup together for that for that game. But in terms of the postseason, getting that week off, getting that extra rest, I think it'll be huge. You think of Morgan Moses, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Kyle Hamilton, Marlon Humphrey. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Patrick Queen, who's been playing through shoulder injuries oh, all yeah. year. You know, I, I think a lot of these guys are going to need this time off in a big way. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a very long list, and unfortunately, the Ravens can only really have. Let's see, they'll elevate two, giving them fifty five, and then go to forty eight from there, plus a plus a sixth emergency quarterback. So effectively, mm-hmm. Jackson could be the emergency quarterback, and just you know, he's not going to play. Obviously, if that's the case, it would, wouldn't hurt the active roster if that were the case. And then they could have seven guys they sit. But I'm looking at a list here I've got in the defensive article, probably about 13 guys I think that could really benefit from this. One of them is Andrews, who's on IR. Do you have any sense of whether Mark might be back for the playoffs? John seems to really believe so. You know, he has brought Mark Andrews' name up unprovoked a couple of times. Um, He has expressed his optimism in Mark Andrews returning. And look, this isn't... This isn't new for John. I think he always kind of takes the more optimistic route when it comes to these injuries. (laughs) Um, And then it turns out that people get upset with him because they think he lied. And I've had to tell people, I don't think he's lying. I think he's just going with the best case scenario because he's been given such a wide range of what could happen. He's holding out hope for the best. You can't blame him. Um, But he seems to really be hanging on to the hope that Mark Andrews can get on the field and, you look, it looks like this team could make a deep run in the postseason. They've already clinched the first round by. So anything can happen. But I, I will say the fact that John seems so optimistic about it, you gotta at least 
have the thought in your mind that it's still a possibility. Now, do you think the Ravens would lose in any kind of a PR way if they did what I believe would be the most effective thing with regard to L- uh, injuries, which is just to say, look, my only comment is no comment. So let's let's <laughs> practice it up with me because you're a, you're a member of the media. You you mm-hmm. ask a lot of questions. If you listen, by the way, to to the to the tapes of of any kind of interview, you know, as Cordell usually asks a question or two of of most people who come to the the podium, and uh, you know, if if if. Harbaugh's response to you in every case was, Cordell, I'm sorry, my only comment is no no comment with regard to any injury concerns. If that was his canned response for every single injury question, would you find that um, ex- organizationally acceptable as a member of the media? I wouldn't love it uh, because, you know, obviously it's my job to try to get as much information as I can. So um, I, I wouldn't love it, but it's it's it wouldn't shock me if that's what they do, especially this time of year. John always kinds of kind of buttons up about injuries when you get into this time of year. To be honest with you, he's been a little more open at times than he usually is uh, as of late. So um, I, I wouldn't love it, but if you talk about playoff time, at that point, you know he's definitely going to keep his cards close to the vest. Yeah, I think part of the problem is the asymmetry of his responses. So oftentimes he'll he'll give you the I'm sorry I'm not, I can't tell you anything about injuries we're not going to talk about who's playing, but then other times he he says you know he'll go unguarded in the positive direction when he when he thinks he has positive news and that's the wrong thing to do. You got to be tell people nothing in both directions if you want the the bad news not to become bad news of its own nature and not to be you know a, a clue that you're given to the other team. So I, I don't know if, from a corporate communication standpoint. If there was a like a, a piece of advice that I might give John, it's just have one canned response for all injury responses and don't tell the media anything. I don't need to know as media. I can I can you know guess. I can I can bring on guests who might have some uh, you know medical background and whatnot. But I think that it's it's best for for Baltimore Ravens fans to to not have the other team knowing what the what the situation is. I mean, John and those guys, they believe the least information is out there, the better their chances are of winning. Uh, that That's always how he's operated. You know, that they, they truly believe in competitive advantages uh, being passed off through press conferences, passed off through um, team sit, you know, team orchestrated videos that are put out. I've heard about them finding about finding out about information on other teams through the videos that their own team website has put out at times. And it could just be B-roll from training camp. They they truly believe everything could be used against them. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to talking about the offense from this game. Uh, offensive line, I thought one of the big stories in this game, we're going to get to this in the second part of the show, but um, Lamar had lots of clean pockets to throw from and, I would say they had their best game of the season. Yeah, it's tough to, you know, argue that. You look at the Niners game that I thought that was a pretty good game for them as well overall, but this one probably even better than that one just because it, I mean, Lamar, the only contact he really got was when he made plays with his legs. I think he was sacked one time. I think I looked at PFF earlier. They only had him down for five pressures. Um, at the time. So, I mean, I thought the offensive line did really good. And I talked to Morgan Moses about that after the game. He and Ronnie, I talked to both of those guys about the offensive line play and they couldn't say enough about Ben Cleveland, who stepped in and I thought played a really good game. Patrick McCarry and Daniel Farlele, who stepped in and kind of helped with that rotation with 
uh, Morgan and Stanley. And look, Tyler Lenderbaum and Jerome and, and, and John Simpson. John Simpson's been up and down this year, but I thought he had his moments and Lenderbaum has turned out to be as consistent as the male. Yeah, he's, he he definitely is has uh, has taken a big step forward this year, which has has been a very positive thing. We'll talk. We'll get to that in the second half of the show. Justice Hill converted that third and sixteen on the opening mm-hmm. drive. How big a play was that for the Ravens in this game? That was huge. That was huge. I mean, because this felt like a game. I mean, you you could tell by the way that the Ravens were calling it and how aggressive they were at times that. You, you needed to try to score on every possession you could, especially in the first half, um, and to, to be in that situation. And the Ravens have shown that they're going to put the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands, even if it's for a screen play or what have you. They're just third and 16. They're not just going to run a draw play and get out of there. Mm-hmm. They're looking to convert. And Justice Hill, uh, thanks to some great blocking initially, Tyler Linderbaum gets out there, makes a nice play. I thought Morgan Moses did a good job uh, even before extending out. But it's Justice Hill really wants as he catches the ball, makes a guy miss, finds the cutback wing, goes back to the open side of the field. And he's showing that speed that we all knew he had. But I'll be honest, I didn't know, you know, I didn't I wasn't sure if we get the amount of big plays that you got out of Justice Hill in that Dolphins game. And and credit to him for taking advantage of his opportunities. It's been a been a big game for Hill to take a step forward and take some of the um gadget and ball out quick passes that had been going to flowers because flowers as we finally saw was allowed to be a swan in this game instead of the ugly duckling and was down the field making some big plays yeah he was he uh you 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 get the the 75 yard touchdown pass i mean that was a thing of beauty um credit to lamar i mean that lamar the, the the things you can do when you have an uber athletic quarterback uh, the, the possibilities are endless. He opens up left, looks like a left-handed quarterback, and just at the snap of a finger, he switches his stance and just flicks his wrist. And and Zay, I mean, he he did a really good job tracking the ball, which is something that I thought he struggled with mm-hmm. early in the season. Um, but then you get to see the wiggle in the open field. Deshaun Elliott can't get him down. Another defender can't get him down. I, I, that's this is what I think everybody's been waiting for. With Zay, you got to see it last week as well on a little bit of that vertical uh, with him getting that touchdown up the seam. So getting a deploy Zay down the field, now you're starting to really get to see uh, what all he can do. There's been some interesting comments on Twitter about Lamar setting up as a left-handed quarterback on that play. I don't think that's what fooled the Dolphins secondary for the record. I think that they looked at Lamar with his back turned in that direction and figured it's got to be a run play. And they don't have the kind of view of the backfield that people closer to the line of scrimmage did. If that was something that Monken and Lamar came together to, to, to actually stick into the offense, it is really a thing of beauty in terms of being a great run fake for the secondary only. Yeah. And look, they, they've shown they can do that before when you mm-hmm. think of some of the plays they ran early in the year where Lamar kind of presents himself as a runner, yep. touch the ball, and then out of nowhere he just throws it down the field. I, I kind of equate it to that. They're given the illusion of these run looks, and that's what you can do when you have somebody as dynamic as Lamar who also has probably I – don't, I don't hear enough people talk about his footwork in the pocket. I mean, mm-hmm. th- to be able to switch stance like that and, and, and throw the ball that far down the field – with that type of accuracy, I mean, the, I don't like you said. I don't know who came up with it, Monken or Lamar. But even if it is just Lamar, just don't. It, it's just something that you can't teach. Is it, you have to either have it or you can't. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It may have even had something to do with the fact, and this is this is one reason why I could maybe believe it was a it was a passing thing to say, hey, I'm a left-handed quarterback, is that is that the Dolphins, you know, uh, the defenders all play practice against Tua every every day. Mm-hmm. So they may be used to seeing a left-handed quarterback and know where the vulnerabilities are. But it was that was an unbelievable fake in any any case. And and it was one of those ones that's it is fooling the level three defenders. It's not really fooling the guys close to the line of scrimmage, but that's okay. That's yep. what it, that's who it needed to fool. Let me go back to Hill's catch for a second because one of the things that keeps coming up, and this is the kind of hyperbole you sometimes get on Twitter after a game like this is that if the if Hill doesn't get that first down the ravens don't win the game of course they go on to win 56 to 19 right it seems a, a tad hyperbolic to me yeah I, I it's tough to pinpoint that one play look granted it was a huge momentum shift you know it, it kept the drive alive kept them get being able to move down the field in a game at that point you felt like you know you needed points you had to keep mm-hmm. pace and i think both teams were desperate to kind of uh, outscored the other early in the game. Both offenses were being pretty aggressive with what they were trying to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I keep it in the landscape of what it was. I think it was necessary for that time. But I, when you beat a team like that, it's it's tough to say that that one play is the reason they won yeah. the game. I, I think the way to do this is turn this around and, and see if, if a Dolphins fan had posted that on Twitter and says, damn it, we couldn't get Hill on the ground. If we just got Hill on the ground, we win that football game. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'd think it was the most ridiculous thing. You'd laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Uh, let's keep going here. Um, this is an interesting question that came up on the last show, but I wanted to get your opinion of this and see if it's if it's if it might be similar here. The question was which non-QB, it was put that way, offense could be the most dangerous to the Ravens in the playoffs. Which non-QB we're looking for one particular player? No, I think this is offense. So the offense okay. without I think the I think the question is without the QB. Uh-huh. But but it's so it's kind of like asking what team has the most dangerous set of skill position players potentially I think we're is what the question. Not is. looking at the quarterback position. I'm tempted to go uh I'm tempted to go Buffalo right now. I mean, because James Cook, I think, is having a really good year. Um, they're running the ball better than they probably have in the Josh Allen era, just, you know, outside of him, outside of the run game he presents. Um, and you know, I think they have some, I think they have some wide receivers that you you have to at least respect. Like Gabe Davis. You know, he's not Stefan Diggs, obviously, but this dude seems to always show up in big games. And and it's like when he shows up, it's not just one play here, one play there. I mean, this dude may finish with two touchdowns and 170 plus yards. Um, You look at Shakir in that offense as well. Another guy that can kind of force you to play sideline to sideline with him, force you to tackle him after the catch. I like their tight ends as well. Dalton Kincaid filled in pretty well for Dawson Knox, who's now back. So they have both of those guys. I, I, I don't. I'm not trying to, you know, fill into that whole Buffalo hype that people have going on. But when you take the quarterback away, it's tough for me to. I guess you, you know, it's tough for me to say Kansas City because of their wide receiver situation. Oh, yeah. Kelsey's not the same. I love what Pacheco's doing, um, but everybody else, I would say the Browns, but. I, you know, we saw what the quarterback difference made for that offense. So I, I can't really say them. Everybody else is kind of in the same boat. 
So this is interesting. I'll just tell you what we came up with. So last night, Josh Reed and I doing this show, and we both said a healthy Miami would be the really scary one. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they have all the speed in the whole True. freaking league. And what A-Chan did to them was scary to start off that game. Right. Um, and, and you know, Tyreek Hill obviously was completely in control until he bobbled the football and, and cost him an important four points, which right. is another one on the of the Hill level in terms mm-hmm. of important early play. Um, but anyway, I, th- I, I thought that was interesting, but, but you've got some good answers there. The and, and that's don't- a good point too. I mean, Miami's a, is probably the answer. They kind of, I don't know how it slipped my mind, even though we just saw them on Sunday, maybe that performance is kind of, sure. is what is <laughs> making me not pick them, but you're right. A healthy Miami with Mostert there who didn't play with Waddle there who didn't play. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you put, you would think almost any quarterback, but we've seen them kind of have to, in the past, at least have to go to a backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, Skylar Thompson, whoever the case may be. And it hasn't looked the way that it does when two is out there. So, and look, same thing with Buffalo. If, if Josh Allen isn't there, you know, it's not the same type of offense. Uh, but I'll, I, c- I can definitely get with that. Miami has the skilled players that are probably the best in the conference, if we're being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just an interesting question. I, I've really been appreciating the questions, by the way, folks that have come through recently. We have some other good ones today we're going to get to with Cordell. Uh, but keep them up because they've just been great recently. Uh, out, they outsnapped, were outsnapped, sorry, by Miami 66 to 55 in this game. I don't really, normally, I, I really don't like the Ravens getting outsnapped, particularly when they're running the ball and getting some three down first downs that are including this. But Maureen and I went through this game and we're, we're making up the offensive line score sheet, which the first thing we do have to do is put in the down and distance. And notice there are four different drives in this game where they scored a touchdown without ever getting to third down. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned the, the 75 yard touchdown play to Zay. That, mm-hmm. That's one of them right there. But even think to some of, I mean, they just had so many big plays in this game. And so, even the fourth down one to likely for the touchdown. Yep. I mean, it just just big play after big play. And you could tell they, they were ready to match whatever blows Miami brought because that's what Miami does. They, they're usually the big play king on, on offense, at least. So they force you to have to put up a ton of points. So I think the Ravens came into this game with the idea that, you know, they're going to create their own big plays in this one. So like you, you know, I'm we're used to kind of looking at who I'll snap the other. And that kind of tells you a little bit about how the game went. And the Ravens usually are pretty good about out snapping their opponents. But in this one, um, I, I think the all the, the big plays that they got offensively made this one a commodity. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. They really kept their pedal to the metal uh, all the way through this game. I like the fact that they're still uh, choking the Dolphins out in quarter four. In particular, mm-hmm. it was a it was a little bit of a scary moment with the Dolphins down 16, a chance to mm-hmm. go down 14 on that two-point conversion. We'd all been there yeah. in week two of last year and yeah. seen what can go wrong in the fourth quarter, and I certainly didn't want that to happen again. It's just it, it was a huge relief to have that be a uh, unsuccessful two-point try from my perspective because that really puts you down four scores in a sense and not just two. Yeah, I mean, it, it was huge for them to put the, to keep their foot on the gas, like you said. Um, I, I think you think back to those Patriot teams, you know, that were dominant and Belichick and those guys, man, when they, when they were beating on you, you knew it was going to be a long day because they weren't going to stop. And you think back to the game last year against Miami and you could make the argument that the Ravens kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit and 
they they weren't going to make that mistake this time. And honestly, you know, I've been asked a couple of times about why I trust this Ravens team right now, not mm-hmm. even just compared to 2019, but even to earlier in the season. Um, and I think it's the fact that this, I don't, I'm not going to say that they can't blow a lead anymore. You know, anything can happen, but I, I do feel like I can trust this version of this team. They're not making mistakes very often. They're not really turning the ball over. They're not really giving up too many big plays. They just seem like a team that when they get up on you, they know how to put you away. Yeah. I I mean, that's a great point. I think if I had to pick one other thing, I think not being as dependent on the read option Mm -hmm. to convert first downs is a very Mm -hmm. big difference from 2019. Yeah. It's just a, it's a a very nice thing to have multiple different threats you can go to. And um, particularly with the loss of Mitchell, I can't tell you how happy I am about the um, emergence of Hill as a more significant weapon. It's it's so critical to have two speed guys. They you know they lost Duvernay, who was their fourth guy, uh, who could have provided some of that. They never really went to him this year. They hadn't really gone to Hill much, even though they had him in on passing downs. They hadn't gone to him much, and they've been using Flowers for for a lot of that. And of course, Keaton Mitchell, in, you know, in the weeks uh, until he got hurt, uh, had a huge role. But uh, Hill is a huge addition. No, no question about it. He'll and he'll's been uh, you know, trustworthy for them since he's been here. That's why they keep him on the roster. He can he pretty much does everything they ask him to do. And even before Mitchell Keaton Mitchell had, you know, kind of joined the group this season, you think back to early in the year, they were still running the ball serviceable with Ke- with Justice Hill and Gus Edwards back there, even after J.K. Dobbins gets hurt. So, you know, Hill is used to coming off the bench, so to speak. And like you said, they were already using them in third down predominantly as a as a pass blocker. Uh, but it's just always good to see that this dude is ready whenever they call his number. I did want to ask you, were you covering the Ravens in 21? 21 I was. Yes. You were. Great. Okay. So we can't get through this discussion without a little bit of Vic Fangio talk here. Mm-hmm. And and, mm-hmm. and so two things happened in this game. First of all, the Ravens run, ran for over 100 yards again for the 33rd straight game, despite all of Vic Fangio's player safety concerns <laughs> that, uh, that existed. But I thought the final touchdown pass from Huntley to Kolar do you think that was a middle fingering in any way to Fangio after the comments he made the last time after the game at Denver? Probably. I'm sure it was a piece of that. Um, and it's probably just a piece of them wanting to keep that mentality of, you know, we're going until there's triple zeros on the clock. Um, because this has been a team that has struggled with kind of staying engaged for 60 minutes at times especially when they have a a pretty nice size lead. So I think they just really wanted to put this team away and really put the cherry on top of a dominant into a a tough stretch in the season to, to win the division, win the conference. I mean, I I think they hear some of the stuff that's being said. They hear some of the back and forth conversations that are debated on nationally, even though they'll say they don't care, they care to a degree. Mm -hmm. And I think they wanted to, you know, be a situation where, there were no doubts. There were no doubts who the better team on the field was and who the best team in the league is right now. 
Charlie Kolar has had kind of a uh, struggled through the season, I'd say. He struggled to get opportunities after mm-hmm. a big drop in week one. Uh, finally got a reception. That took a while, and now he finally gets his first touchdown on the play. I'm not even sure he was the intended receiver. Right. Kind of looked like it might have been likely going for his third TD there. But it, it, there is a component of me that, that's really happy that Snoop and Kolar – each get a touchdown on their on their on their record out of this, and it's not just a statistical thing. It's you know these guys are are putting in a lot of time and uh, Huntley in a very thankless way as a as a as a backup. He's played the last two years. We you know we don't want him to play. Like don't don't go me wrong on this, but but it's great to you know have him get in there and be successful when he is. And then for Kolar to, to to get that first touchdown, there may not be another opportunity. I'm sure he'll play some this next week, and he'll get he'll be a bigger part of the offense than he has been. But uh, uh, it's it's uh, you know there are just limited opportunities in the NFL, and your your number doesn't always come up at any time during your first four years. And here we are at the end of year two for Charlie Kolar. Yeah, I mean, and it's all about staying ready. I mean, you look at this Ravens team. You got uh, Ben Cleveland out there playing right guard. This is week seventeen. You know, Kevin Zeitler's missing time. You just you just never know when your number is going to be called. And I think that went against the Dolphins really showed how much depth this team has. And, you know, I, I think it's talking to some of the guys in the locker room after the game, that's important to them. That's not something that, you know, they just talk about and it doesn't mean a lot to them. These, these depth guys, they, they take pride in being able to take advantage of their opportunities when, when they get them. And we've seen a lot of guys do that this year. And, um, Charlie Kohler, like you mentioned, I, I just look at him and same with likely. I just think those guys are playing with such confidence right now um, that they feel like they could do anything. I mean, you look at likely on the fourth down touchdown that he has the one handed catch. Incredible. It takes a, 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 <laughs> your confidence has got to be through the roof after making plays like that. The jump ball catch against the Jaguars. Charlie Kohler, like you mentioned, him getting his first catch a couple weeks ago on the same route. You know, I think that I think that wakes him up. Those types of plays matter. Him getting in and making some of those uh, uh, cross cross chop, chop blocks that he's making, and some of those inside zone plays that we see. I, I just think keeping these guys engaged as much as possible is a good thing. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely agree. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Five out of five in the red zone. They're now back to seventh in the NFL really off from a hot start. They had 80% mm-hmm. of their first 15 and now they're down to 62.7% for the year. But the alternative is they were 44.4% last year. So that, that ain't bad. And the median for the NFL is around 53.8. Um, they did by allowing two out of three Miami drives to score. They're, 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 they just leaked over 40%. Uh, Tennessee is actually the best in the league, including mm-hmm. a one for six contribution from the Ravens uh, in that London game. But uh uh, do you think that that the that the defense in particular? What, do you think the defense or the offense is more cognizant of converting and denying red zone opportunities? You're saying do I do I think is one or the other? Yeah, more. Do you think one or the other is has it more front and center in terms of their their thought process? That you know, defense talks about being bent but not break. Right. They, yeah. Yeah, they definitely talk that talk about that a lot. Lamar, I would say the offense is probably more cognizant of it just because that's what that message has always been since Todd Munkin has gotten there. It's just about scoring points. I mean, you hear Lamar, it's always about finishing drives, scoring points, putting points on the board. They don't want Justin Tucker on the field. Defense, like you said, they 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 pride themselves on kind of being that bend but don't break defense. I definitely believe that they're cognizant of it as well. But I think offensively, 
um, when they get down there, they always feel like they should come away with the touchdown with the skill guys that they have Lamar Jackson, what he's able to do the, the, you know, they tend to be aggressive in that area as well. And I think that speaks to their confidence and how they, how much they feel like anytime they're inside the 20 it's, it's touchdown or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Been very happy with that. The other big stat from the game, serious success rate. Now this is every time you get a first down, when, when, how often does it get converted into a touchdown or a first down? So they went four for seven on third down. That's three failures. They reversed one of those failures with a fourth down conversion, mm-hmm. but then they added another failure with the fumble. So they went 24 out of 27 uh, uh, times. It's an unbelievable 89% rate for the game. The 2019 Ravens were something like 79% for the year, and they led the entire league. And the and the current leaders are Miami, Kansas City, and San Francisco are all in the 76 to 78% range. Um, it, it, absolutely incredible that this would happen. The Ravens on the on the flip side, on the defensive side of the ball, even though Miami moved the ball effectively, certainly for large chunks of the game and in large chunks um, when they did it, the Dolphins only went 20 for 30 on their series in terms of converting them. They did pitch in some turnovers that helped uh, – helped uh, uh, lower that number. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think uh, right now you look at what the Ravens are doing. We talked all year about consistency, trying to get more consistency on the offensive side of the ball. And I think you've clearly gotten that over the last month or so against some stiff opponents too. And a couple Mm -hmm. of the games you think to the Rams game, that was one of those games to where you felt like you need to finish drives with points. And it was all. It's always puzzling when you see this team go through some of those droughts where they're just stalling out and stalling out. And I think right now you're seeing a group that um, has a full grasp on this offensive scheme. It's still not picture perfect out there. You know, you, you still see elements where they're trying to clean it up. Um, but I, I think in the 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 confidence that Lamar is showing right now, and not only calling the plays, but making the adjustments at the line, trusting his eyes. He, he's making the right adjustments at the line of scrimmage. Between that and now you're seeing – you're getting more mobile Lamar Jackson than you got in the first half of the year. I think that's a big part in them as well, kind of extending these drives. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more um, in terms of that. And let's, let's move on and talk about a little bit about Lamar Jackson because this is uh, one of the great performances, honestly, in NFL history. There's it's It can be very difficult to separate the best football games of all time. And in fact, the best football games of Lamar's career kind of blend together in some ways, you know, the five touchdown 59 to 10 game against Miami with the perfect passer rating. You might think those are approximately, you know, similar in nature to, to a game like this. Well, Aaron Schatz over at um, uh, FTN now, but he's, it's originally, he's the originator of the DeBoa statistic. Um, He, he says that, Lamar performance is only one of eight in the history of DeVoa in the last 40 years. That means of with a DeVoa rating over 200% for the game, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest and it's by far Lamar's best game. His, his next best game is only 126% only. 126%. Right. <laughs> so, uh, f- fabulous game. Uh, I, I thought there's so much to talk about in terms of that, but, but what are your initial impressions about Lamar from this game? I mean, what can you say? The dude, the dude really went out there and I, I thought was almost picture perfect. Um, making every throw that you could ask him to make, um, really showing you, I keep going back to it, that footwork in the pocket and 
his ability to just do things that aren't coached. Um, he, he has such a quick release and um, I, I just think the dude can make any throw. He, he He's so smart in what he sees. And I think he, I don't even want to say deceptively smart, but I just think people don't give him credit for how, you know, his football IQ out there. He's not just out there going through the motions. He he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's seeing. And we talked to Todd Munkin quite a bit, and he continues to rave about the way Lamar sees the game and how he can articulate it. And there's been a couple of players that say the same. You know, even during his early years in the league, and obviously Lamar has matured as a as a person and, and probably a little bit as a communicator as well during during his years in the league. But but one of the things that really stood out is how you get Lamar talking about how he read opposing leverage, particularly when he's in the open field as a runner. And all of a sudden, the discussion, the theory level of the discussion goes way up. Mm -hmm. and, and he's like, yeah, I'm waiting for him to get on this foot so I can do this. And, and it doesn't come out of his mouth exactly that way, but that's what he's saying. Right. And he's clearly understanding these concepts at a level that, it, it, for my money, is up there with the greatest athletes in any sport of all time. Muhammad Ali is the guy that is in the same class with him as understanding opponent leverage. And you know how, how that worked out right. for him. Well, he was he was pretty agile and a pretty <laughs> shifty guy himself. And I, you know, people always wonder. Just and I remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, people were asking Lamar about that. Just you know, his ability to st extend plays, and you know, how is he doing? I mean, the game moves slow for him at times, especially like you mentioned in the open field. He understands cutback lanes. He. He, his vision is so wide, you know, he he can see guys coming out the corner of his eye and he understands, you know, he knows how to kind of stop on a dime and change, change direction. I mean, it's, it's either you got it or you don't. A lot of the things that Lamar Jackson does, but I just think that Dolphins game, you, you really get to just see his maturity as a quarterback. Um, so much is said about, you know, what how he can throw or what he can can and can't do that I, I think as a quarterback there's nothing Lamar Jackson can't do on the football field yeah yeah he, 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 we see it week after week we're continually amazed it's you know Bo Jackson was the same kind of player as as he just do something to amaze you every time he was on the field and and and, and football or baseball mm -hmm. um and, and you know you, you you'd see something new and you could who could do that kind of thing yeah let me take a moment here and go through some of the statistical stuff here. Uh, Miami rushed five or more on 10 occasions. That's 43% of the time. That's very high rate, by the way. Um, rushing Lamar Jackson with numbers has not usually been a, been a, a, a means for success. Uh, it, had, it, it was occasionally for Miami once in, in the game a couple of years ago. They showed a bunch of zero mm -hmm. blitzes, but Lamar has taken a step forward. Um, it's exactly the same percentage that the San Francisco 49ers did. But Lamar on those 10 plays was 9 of 10 for 218 yards when they tried to rush five people against him. 21.8 yards per pass, three touchdowns. Um, blitzing Lamar didn't work in this game. No, it didn't. And like you said, it hasn't worked a lot this year at all. Um, he, I mean, he, he tells you that in itself lets you know how he's in a groove, you know, because he knows who the free rusher is. He knows when he's got to get the ball out of his hands. He knows when he's got to hit his hot read and he's, he's calling out a lot of things, you know, pre-snap. And like I said, he knows who that free guy is going to be, if there is going to be one, but you just don't see Lamar panicking. You don't yeah. see him panicking back there. He's still 
under control. If he has to get out of there, he will. But if he has time, because there were a couple of times where the Ravens did a good job picking up the blitz, yeah, exactly. and he's still sitting in the pocket. It's it's not like he feels like if you're blitzing him, he has to rush. He'll sit back there if he can. So he's he's truly taking advantage of every single thing that defenses are giving him. You took all my points there, and I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Four-man rush uh, uh, with Jackson was only, only 12 of 14 for 94 yards, 6.7 yards per play. Uh, they would, they probably did the Ravens a tremendous favor with the with the extra blitzes. They never rushed three in this game. Uh, when I split it out into the other major division, which is ample time and space, the times he had a three-second pocket, ball out quick, the time he got rid of the ball before the, before pressure could develop, and pressure – we see some really interesting things. And the first is that Lamar had 10 ATS opportunities. And that's largely a function of how effective the offensive line is and the skill position blockers are in terms of picking up whatever the Dolphins threw at them, which a lot of times was a four-man rush. 10 of those in 22 dropbacks is 45%. It's an excellent number, um, but even better results, 17.2 yards per play when he had ample time and space. Yeah, pick. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. your poison pick your poison you know either you're going to rush them and you know leave you know leave take away from the numbers that you have on the back end or you're going to start dropping people back and then he'll have all he'll sit back there and dance in the pocket pat the ball and he's going to find the right play i, I just I, I think it's these are the types of quarterbacks that defenses hate playing because you almost feel like you know what can you do at this point the pressure isn't really getting there and even if it does he, he, he'll run out of there. He'll escape out of the pocket. And now it's the scramble drill, which is what the Ravens have been making a killing off of as of late. I just got to ask you that question is how, how much have you been impressed with the Ravens mm -hmm. recent extended play results? Huge, huge, huge. It's, it's been the main, I think, contributor as to why the offense has been as efficient as this has been as of late. Um, I know a lot of people are out there. I've seen people kind of, not as uh, enthused about the fact that the Ravens have kind of depended on the off schedule plays, but I, that doesn't scare me. The off schedule plays, they don't scare me when you have Lamar Jackson as your quarterback. And when you now have receivers that seem like they have a better grasp of their responsibilities when they do go into the scramble drill. Uh, it used to, I've talked about this a lot. It, it's been a pet peeve of mine with the Ravens in the past uh, dealing with these guys in, in, in the scramble drill. It just seems like guys kind of quit on the route. Or Give up on the route. Yep. And, and it's, it's mind-numbing to me when Lamar Jackson is your quarterback. You don't see that as much anymore. Isaiah Likely, we saw the play he made against the Jags the other week. We've been seeing Zay Flowers make some of those plays. Nelly, the running backs, everybody's starting to mm -hmm. understand, I can't just stand around and watch 8B8. I have to get involved. You know, this this team is a high-motor team on both sides of the ball. 
they're high motor in 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 on, on in the defensive backfield at maintaining coverage. They create a lot of coverage sacks that way by you know not acting like the route might be over at some point. They're incredibly high motor with second and sometimes even third man to the to the quarterback plays that have been terrific in terms of piling up sacks. But everybody on this offense now, there isn't anybody taking the playoff. The guy, nope. One of the guys who's really stepped forward, you didn't mention him, so I'll, I'll just throw him out there. Rashad Bateman yep. has looked a lot better on those yep. kind of plays this year, and it's been a big addition to his game. Um, you know, you, ATS opportunities, one of the things they do for Bateman is allow him to complete his route and allow Lamar to look at how he's lost that guy at the top of the route as part of his decision-making process. And he had... I thought just a terrific game this week. If he had caught that long ball, we'd be talking about this being the best game of his career. If uh, and it was a just, it would have been a, it would have been one of his great ever catches to haul yeah. that in. It was a, definitely a, a difficult grab. Yeah, a, a little bit of a better throw. I think he walks into the end zone. He did have to leap out for it. You know, it, it was just a little bit in front, but heck of an effort. Um, and I agree. I, I, Bateman is definitely one that I think has started to become a big beneficiary of these extended plays. Uh, you saw a lot of it in Miami and you're starting to see that trust between Lamar and Bateman creep up again, which is great to see oh, because yeah. I, Bateman's clearly been open all year. I know that's been a huge talking point for Ravens fans, but he's been open all year. And it's just been for whatever reason, they haven't been able to connect, but you're starting to see Bateman. Uh, and what, what lets me know that Lamar is starting to trust him more when you start to see some of these plays like we saw against the Dolphins where Bateman's able to use his catch radius, where he's able to kind of go up there and high point some of those high balls. Lamar's putting it up there because he believes Bateman can go up there and get it and only Bateman can do that. So he gives them an element that none of these other receivers have. He's he's the bigger guy. He has maybe maybe Odell has a probably just as good of a catch radius, if not better, but Bateman's measurables allow him to kind of have an even wider range of where he can uh, go and high point the ball. So I'm, I'm really excited for him to continue to, to uh, be involved in this offense. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great point. I, I would also add that I think Bateman is very clearly the best route runner on the mm -hmm. team. He, he mm -hmm. is the guy who puts wiggle on an opposing defensive back at the top of the route and makes him make the wrong move. Zay Flowers is a tremendously sudden athlete. That has not translated to as much separation as it has for Bateman because Bateman can occasionally get a guy lost by five to 10 yards. And Flowers is he's so sudden, obviously, whether it's zone defense or it's man, he, he can lose the entire arrangement and get to a good position. But uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled with the development of both of them in this game. That in, in in Flowers, it's not a case of he's he he is he figured out something new about how to play football. It's a fact that they schemed him into yeah. more of these long throws. Yeah, yeah. And look, I like you mentioned about both of them. The the two I agree with you on Bateman being the best route runner. Going back to training camp, the days where Bateman was out there, I always said when he's here. And that's with Beckham. That's with Zay on the field. Bateman mm -hmm. is the best wide receiver they had out there at that time. His route running is just so smooth. He's, he's just so crisp. He looks like he's gliding out there on the field. And uh, you mentioned Zay and being a sudden athlete. I think the difference between those two is, like you said, Bateman, he has the route running ability. He can get open throughout the course of his route. 
Zay has the unique ability of kind of getting open when the ball is in the air. He just has that ability to kind of change his trajectory of where he was going to get the ball. We saw that on one of those deep over routes that Lamar threw to him in the game against Miami. He comes back. Initially, the defender is doesn't have bad coverage, but it's Zay coming back and creating that separation with the ball in the air that makes him so good because then he is able to get the ball. He turns around. And I mean, his agility and acceleration is second to none. He's going to leave you behind. Yeah. He's been a, it's been a hell of a fun rookie year to watch there. A uh, couple more stats and we'll get through this real quickly. 6.0 yards with ball out quick. That was eight times. Um, Ravens, you know, didn't, didn't do anything special in those plates. Not, it's not an exceptional. It's not bad. It's not terrible. Now here's the thing. Miami got pressure four times in the entire game. It's literally it's four pressure events on 22 dropbacks. So if, if PFF has it scored as five, what it probably means is that they had a double on one play or, or, mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. But anyway, 23.3 yards, Lamar Jackson under pressure on average. And that topped his 22.4 number versus the Lions. The Lions, it was 10 plays for 224 yards. And this was only four for 93, I think. Uh, so it's it's a it's a it's a difference in the in, in the total number of opportunities. Still absurdly good. I mean, they were prepared for this Dolphins team. You you could you watch the Dolphins coming into this game. They're an aggressive defense. They're fast defense. You know, they when when they get to the quarterback, it's usually not just one guy. It's usually about two or three of those guys getting to the quarterback at a time because. They truly do travel in packs and they have they do a really good job at when they're blitzing when it does when it's successful. It's almost like a jailbreak at times. I mean, and we saw it, granted, it was a different defensive coordinator, but they've always had that aggressive mentality. A couple of years ago, the cover zero thing was a big issue for the Ravens that game, like you mentioned earlier. This game, they it, they didn't do as much cover zero stuff, but they they definitely are an aggressive team. They they're an aggressive team and I, I just think it's a credit to Todd Munkin and those guys get, getting these guys ready to play. The Ravens just didn't seem surprised by anything they got. They had a counter for every single thing Miami did. Yeah, they really showed it from that verse series. And and what was great about that series, I thought, was the adversity that they faced. So mm-hmm. they get the long completion debatement, we thought. And then it wow. gets changed on the field and didn't get challenged, but it got changed on the field, right? And then mm-hmm. and and then they get the the penalty to call back the next big play to Hill that they that they, I think mm-hmm. was to Hill. And and then you know they're third and sixteen, and oh my god, how are they going to do it? And of course, Hill makes a great Ray Rice kind of run through traffic to to uh, convert that uh, uh, that third down, and then they're off to the races down the field the rest of the way. But um, I, I just thought the adversity they overcame on that first drive was really special. It is. And because you think back to earlier in the season, you they weren't the offense wasn't able to kind of overcome any adversity. You think back to the game where King and Drake has the fumble, all of a sudden the yeah. game goes crashing downhill. You think back to the Pittsburgh game, you get one drop here, one drop there. Now nobody knows how to catch a pass anymore. They they've done a really good job. The Tennessee game as well, even though that's a game they won, the offense one bad mistake, all of a sudden the offense goes dry. It's they, they've overcome a lot of their demons that they were fighting in the early part of the season. And that's not to say that any of that stuff can't come back at some point. It's football. It's any given Sunday. But yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that because they did face a lot of adversity on that drive. Multiple penalties you get, you're in third and 16 on, and you get a penalty, which I thought, you know, 
okay, the Isaiah likely pick play, I get it. Um, but to be able to go pretty much right back to that play to cap off the drive to Justice Hill uh, later on, I, I think that's a huge credit to where they are right now as an offense. Yeah, the, the Simpson hold, by the way, I thought that was really ticky-tack. And Simpson's mm -hmm. had a lot of problems with penalties this year, so I'm not one to be exceptionally forgiving when he picks up another flag. But but he it looked like he was completely within the body. It didn't look like the, the guy was even trying to get outside the frame. Um, just looked like a bad call to me, honestly. I thought that it was it was uh, it wasn't there. But anyway, it was what it was. Ravens overcame it. We're all happy. Uh, a couple couple advanced stats from Lamar. Time to throw of two point eighty five. I don't think it really mattered for Lamar in terms of how much time he had to throw. Sometimes he does really well with three point forty five. Uh, and we've seen some of those games this year. And sometimes he can do well if it's if it's 2.4. Uh, but that does kind of limit the options. 2.85 is plenty of time to do everything they needed to do. And obviously we saw it in this game. Yeah, and I think that's why you got to see some of those big plays down the field. There's no secret the longer he has to throw the ball, the longer, you know, he can't he can have to survey the field and allow some of those longer developing routes to happen. And you mentioned it, people like Bateman being able to be a uh, guy that benefits from that because he yeah. typically has some of those longer developing routes at times. So now Lamar has the time to be able to see him and it doesn't matter if he's sitting in a pocket for six seconds or scrambling around East or West trying to buy somebody some time. He's been able to beat teams in a variety of ways. Yeah. You know, maybe it's one thing we ought to mention is that we haven't seen Lamar cut the field in half too often this year. One of the things, you, you wonder, what's the real benefit of Lamar being a pocket passer sometimes when he's been so effective as a rollout quarterback mm -hmm. um, in the past? But part of it is you're, you're, you're limiting the space on the field you can actually use for Lamar to throw the football. And so by keeping him in the center, you're, you are truly making them defend every bit of gas. And it's, it, it's one of the big differences from Roman to Monken that I'm really positive about. And I'm not a, I'm not a big Roman detractor. In fact, I'm not a big wink detractor either. I, I don't think there's a lot of per point in beating on either of these coordinators who were both among the best in team history at the, on their side of the ball. Um, just because we've got great coordinators now that we're really right. happy with. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's what everybody likes to do. And sometimes comparing the two isn't necessarily a knock on anybody. You know, Roman had his time, you know, it worked, when it worked and when it didn't, it didn't, you know, everybody's time comes to an end to a degree at some point. Um, but right now with their don't, they, they are giving teams a, a lot of different things that they have to prepare for that they didn't have to prepare for during the Greg Roman area era. Obviously the field is more spread out these days. So you get the, you know, you, you are forced to cover every blade of grass. And like you mentioned, the whole rollout situation, if you got to, then so be it. And Lamar has shown he'll kind of break the rule book at times and do some things that you probably aren't supposed to do. Sometimes it works for him. Sometimes it doesn't. But he is dangerous now when he's in the pocket because, you know, it, it's almost like as a rusher, you have to. And we saw Miami do this a couple of times early in the game, and they ended up getting the one sack that they got where, was when they kind of stayed in their rush lanes. You're not trying to force them out. Um, but as soon as he gets close to you, you, you gotta, you gotta grab him. They did a good job with that, but that's the pressure it puts on those guys is you better stay disciplined in your rush lanes, because if you're not, he'll beat you to the outside. Or if you're going to give him more day to throw, he'll sit back there and he will make a spectacular throw to get it to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So three of four on, on passes of 25 plus yards. His completed and intended air yards. This is something I like to look at on a weekly basis. 9.3 completed air yards, number one in the NFL. So that's that's the that's the stat you want to be number one in for sure. Mm-hmm. But then his intended air yards were 10.7. That was only fourth. That's a great relationship between those two. You want actually you'd love for your intended air yards to be lower than your completed air yards, but it's usually that's not the case. And and uh, that's the relationship you want is that you're not you're not pressing it down the field. And you're getting a higher percentage of your of your throws uh, completed at long yardage. So a uh, great relationship for that in this uh, in this week's stats. Yeah, I mean, efficient. The, these guys being efficient. That's when Lamar historically has been at his best is when he's an efficient passer. Think back to that 2019, his touchdown to interception ratio, especially compared to how many pass attempts he had on the year. That That's what they live for. And this year, they have quite a few guys that can make plays with the ball in their hands. What likely has been able to do after the catch this year is nothing short of phenomenal. We know what Zay can do after the catch as well. Nelly had a couple of nice plays after the catch. Also, Justice Hill also. So, yeah, I mean, this is you're finally able to see Lamar be able to trust the guys around him to be able to make some of those big plays that in the past he felt like he had to do himself. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, let's, let's shift to some of the other positions and some of the other scheme here. One of the things I like to look at it each week is the backfield. And we got to the end of this game and I was legitimately shocked to see the division of carries Gus 31 Hill 20 and Gordon eight Hills had a lot more carries or a lot more, sorry, not carries a lot more, um, snaps in the backfield than Gus recently because of his pass blocking. And this game was kind of a reversal of that. They used Hill. They got a number of high-value touches out of him, as we've you know discussed at, at some length. They also got, I think, 16 carries out of Gus in the game. So he, he touched the ball a lot per snap. Uh, and then they brought in Josh Gordon for eight snaps, which I thought was a great start to the three weeks off <laughs> that yeah. the Ravens are really going to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, the, the this backfield situation, the Ravens always kind of – you know, they, they keep you on the edge of your seat in terms of who's going to be the guy out there more than the other. I mean, it, it was so many weeks where everybody felt like Keaton Mitchell should have been getting more opportunities than he was getting. And nothing ever surprises me with them. They are a week to week situation. A lot of times it's whatever the game plan is. And and especially game flow plays a big part of it as well. Gus Edwards was running the ball pretty well in this game. One of his more efficient games as of late in terms of his uh, yards per carry. Um, and, I, and I think that with Justice Hill was giving them, uh, obviously in the passing game as well, was just as good. So, um, yeah, it is a little bit of a surprise, like you said, because especially on third downs with Justice Hill already kind of submitted himself as a third down guy, that's a little bit of a surprise. But I think Gus Edwards just was really outside of the fumble, obviously. I thought Gus played a really good game. Yeah, I would agree on that. Uh, what else I want to talk about here? Two pony backfield looks again. I, I always get excited mm-hmm. when that happens. Uh, so one of the listeners, and I apologize for bringing this up, but you already put it out there on social media, <laughs> uh, but it pointed out that um, he was watching the game at home and he yelled pony in a high pitched voice, which is exactly what I do when, when, when I see the thing come out there is we're in the stands and I go pony pony <laughs> and, and, and his, his five-year-old daughter or something thought that there was a pony in the front yard and got upset with it. 
That's hilarious. That, that's that's hilarious. But sadly, it was it was a football terminology, and is everybody gets excited when you see two running backs on the field for the Ravens because you know I, I think that's a situation that they usually win in more than not. Um, so anytime you can get both of those guys out there, especially with what Justice Hill is able to do because he's a threat in all three components. He can be used obviously as a blocker, running the ball, and as a receiver. So it, it really keeps defenses on their toes. And uh, the more you can do, I, I think the Ravens do a really good job of forcing defenses to be correct in what they're seeing, you know, because it's a lot of illusions. A lot John Harbaugh has called this a, a, a called this offense a, a big time ball handling offense. It is. You never really know who has the ball. And Lamar is so good at his ball handling deception. So uh, with those two guys out there, even if one of them are lined up as a receiver, we saw Keaton Mitchell get some of that uh, wow. before he got hurt. So I, I always love it when they get two guys on the on the field. Yeah, it seemed it it did seem like that might go away with Mitchell's injury, mm -hmm. but they 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 lined it up in an even more extreme case this time. Obviously, they haven't been using Ricard to the backfield as much this year. He's been more in line. Right. Uh, been had a tremendous pass blocking year, by the way. Ricard's done a really good job yes, on yeah. that. But but in terms of the, the the of being in line, what that allowed them to do on the one pony backfield on, on one of the two pony backfields where they ran the ball is they ran the ball with Hill as a tailback, Edwards effectively as a fullback, and Ricard as a lead fullback, mm -hmm. effectively coming off that line of scrimmage, and that was a devastating kind of look. I hope they bring that one back. They've shown it now, but but that doesn't mean you can be ready for all circumstances. They need to use that you know two three times every four games. So. You, you you continue to show it to your opposition who's going on a rolling four-week advanced scouting basis right. and is uh, is going to be still catching that. I right, move on to hit, set and ship blocks a little bit. Hill only had two pass blocking snaps in his game, which is very unusual for him, but he was in the pattern a lot. One set, one chip. Edwards, four set and one chip block. Uh, I think it's, a, it's probably a good idea with the loss of Mitchell, with the need to get more out of Hill as a receiver, um, that they look to get more out of Edwards as a pass blocker. And if they can find it, then Edwards, the receiver, has been, as you mentioned earlier, one of the great space finders on extended plays. The 80-yard play and a 35-yard play that he had, both big time finding space late for Lamar to get him the football. Yeah, I mean, that, that'd be great because uh, then you're not necessarily telling your hand and uh, Gus – you know, and a lot of people had their question marks about Gus as a receiver early in the year, and he showed he could do that. And I do think he's gotten better as a pass blocker as of late. It'd be nice. And you mentioned Ricard earlier. I, I, you know, going back and watching that game, I thought Ricard was really good, and and I love that they involved him in some of those block and release plays uh, that they ran um, with him coming off kind of the tight end spot. Uh, later on in the game, he gets the touchdown, and one of them, Isaiah Likely, also got his touchdown off of a block and release uh, play as well. So I, I love the expansion of this offense with the backs. Yeah, it, it it does limit your your players in terms of what they what they can do, and they use ten set ten set blocks and six chip blocks in this game. Set block, you stay in and you block. Chip block, you you, you go out after you nail somebody in the ribs, hopefully. Um, at, that's .73 per play. You get five eligible receivers per play, folks. You, you don't want to disadvantage any of them if you can avoid doing it. Now, if you if you need them to pick up an extra a blitzer, then you need them to pick up a blitzer. But every time you take one of those guys out of the pattern, 
Um, even allowing them to be taken out by a blitzer means you're making a one-for-one -one exchange with the defense of a, of a coverage guy for a potential eligible receiver. That is not a good trade for the offense. The offense generally wants to make sure that their guys uh, 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 capture the attention of two-plus defenders if possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you want as many people out there as you can. And we've seen, I, I always I always cringe when I see two-man routes or stuff like that. I'm not a big proponent of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more, you know, the, the, these chip blocks are working, like I mentioned, those block and release plays are working for them. So they're able to kind of get the most bang for their buck, getting that chip and still being able to capitalize off of receiver, not just any receiver, but a lot of these guys are popping wide open, just like we saw in that Dolphins game. Mm -hmm. All right, great stuff. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Yeah, let's talk about the Andrews replacement situation. And obviously, Mark Andrews has missed the last five games now. And during that time, the receivers have stepped up in, to, to, to various levels in different ways. But likely now he's caught 19 out of 26 balls for 291. That's 11.2 yards per target you mentioned the yak earlier what any other development things you've seen from isaiah likely during this time i i would say just his ability his hands have been consistent that was an issue for him last year uh when mark would be in the game even this year early in the year he's had some drop issues and it seems like he hasn't dropped a ball since mark has been hurt i mean i, I it's crazy but i think him being able to take advantage of most of these targets that he's getting by just simply not dropping the ball is a huge thing. The also, the other thing is the contested catch situation that, oh, you yeah. know, the high leverage catches that he's making right now. Those are Mark Andrews S types of plays. These are the types of moments that Lamar would lean on Mark Andrews for. And maybe even in some situations where maybe he wouldn't, go to Mark in. I, I think in some ways likely can do things that Mark maybe can't. The yak thing being one of them, I think uh, likely is a better yak guy uh, than Mark. But I just think overall, likely's confidence is allowing him to play like a, a starter caliber player. Yeah, I think I think you're 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 right on the money there. And I wanted to add one more thing for likely. And and it may and it may be a better thing that he can do better than Andrews or maybe a thing that Lamar doesn't do as well when he's throwing to Andrews, but he throws a lot of interceptions throwing to Mark Andrews. He has mm -hmm. over the years, a couple of years ago, it was like nine and uh, Andrews target share was through the roof. But if you look at Andrews by year since 2018, the passer rating throwing to him has shown a general level of decline that has not been good. So, and it's, and it's largely been interception based. What I think we saw from Likely in the con big contested catch in the previous game, which is the 49ers game, or was it the previous game at home before that? Whichever game it was where he went the, up at the, the five-yard line. Jaguars game. There you mm -hmm. go. Went up at the five-yard line and, and made the catch against two defenders. What that tells me is that Likely is going to be a good defender of the football. Hey, he came back, he bailed out Lamar in terms of making that catch at the, at the point. But I also believe just from his positioning on that play that if, if he'd been a little bit let more disadvantaged in terms of making that catch that he still would have would have done everything he could to get that ball to the ground mm -hmm. and and we we haven't always seen that be successful now a lot of the balls to andrews that have been intercepted to be fair are overthrows or tips from andrews where there's nothing he can really do about it after the initial mistake whether it's lamar's or his right. but but in, in the case of likely just 
looks like a great defensive tight end. Yeah, I mean, and he's got the same, he, he's got the nice size that you want out of the tight ends, but he's he's got wide receiver traits as well. Um, and, and I think that's where some of that uh defender stuff that you're talking about comes into play on. He's it's a little he's more athletic than Mark is, if we're being honest. So he's able to kind of go up there and maybe knock a ball down where Mark probably can't jump as high as as likely can or something. I mean, Mark is a dog. I, I don't ever want to make it seem like I'm discrediting him. Um, but I'm just saying I do think likely is able to give you the things that Mark is giving you and also able to help in some ways where maybe they wouldn't lean on Mark to do so. All right. All right. Um, Beckham, not involved in this game in a tra tra tremendous degree. And I didn't actually look at his snap count here, but he only had the one catch mm -hmm. only had the one catch for, for 33 yards or whatever it was. It was a beauty. Um, since, Andrews has been out 8.4 yards per target. He's really been used a little bit more as a vertical threat than I would have expected. Yeah, uh, he they continue to use him on some of those slot fades, which we saw uh, him make that grab on. And it hasn't been very successful, uh, that particular play for them in the past, but it, they hit on it uh, against the Dolphins. Beckham, I think, is just a guy that, you know, we're getting into that time of year of why he's on the team. You know, I, I think we saw him kind of start to peak a little bit not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. And that shoulder injury, I think really slowed him down a little bit and maybe even gave the Ravens an opportunity to kind of ramp him down a little bit as they start to probably try to ramp him back up these next couple of weeks, preparing for the postseason. So I, I think he's given them exactly what they're asking for. You know, he, he's not here to be a box score stuffer. He's here to kind of you know, be a safety net for Lamar, be be that veteran presence in this locker room for the wide receivers. And he's done a better job than I think a lot of us probably thought he would have yeah. at some of that off the field stuff. Yeah. And and honestly, if I'm looking back at, at camp in particular, there's a certain value in having an anti-hero on your team. Mm -hmm. uh, and and he, I mean, he's a hero too, to, to, to a lot of the fans, but he's also an anti-hero on the field um, in a lot of ways in terms of some of the penalty drawing, some of the instigation he's done. He's, I mean, he stepped on the hand of Jeffrey Simmons. It? Yeah, that's it. And then he, and he took the penalty on it right away. Um, you know, just, just some really sharp, astute veteran play, dragging defenders down on top of him and screaming for a holding call yeah. and whatnot. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's been worth the money, so I'm not going to, not going to claim that, mm -hmm. that he was worth it for that. Um, and, and I, I'd have to ascribe a significant portion of that to the value of Lamar, but since Lamar has been worth 75 or 80 million this year, it's probably fair. Right. <laughs> that, right. That, you know, he gets to, he gets to assign a small portion of that. So hopefully that's, uh, um. Uh, you know, that's that kind of thing. I'm, I, and I'm just coming up with a number for Lamar. You could probably justify even more than that mm -hmm. based on, on how he's played. Flowers, uh, 24 out of, out of 36 for 270. Now, he, he only been at five yards per target, actually slightly under, entering this game. Finally gets used on some decent routes, and he's up to 7.5 yards per target for since Andrews has been out. Yeah, I mean, three catches, 106 yards, gets the 75-yard touchdown catch. I love everything about Zay. I I just think the kid is so good and um, he's just scratching the surface. And I just see a mature player right now. He understands how defenses are playing him. He understands what Todd Munkin and those guys are asking of him. Just even when you talk to him in the locker room, he just has 
a, a more mature feel to him. He looks like a kid, you know, he's always smiling like a kid mm-hmm. in a candy store, but he, that, that same type of energy that he shows off the field, he plays with it on the field. And I, I, I love that marriage between him and Lamar out there. Just you get Lamar speed and, and, and all the crazy things he can do. And you give him a wide receiver like Zay Flowers that, that can do the things he does. And like I said, Zay's just scratching the surface. I mean, we're really just starting to see how good that connection can be right now. If it's in its infancy, I, I'm curious to see what it looks like a couple of years from now. You, you mentioned the speed again, and I wanted to come back to that for a second. Do you think it's fair to say that the Ravens are going to really be looking for speed in this draft and this offseason yet again? Obviously, Mitchell will not be here. Um, they'll still have Flowers and Hill for one more year. He's under contract. Um, Duvernay will move on, I'm sure, mm-hmm. because it's just not enough money. Um, so the question will be, Is is there? how will they acquire speed? And I guess part of the question I'm asking is, do you think there's going to be, with the success of the Miami and Baltimore offenses, do you think there's going to be a premium on speed in the draft such that a player like Keaton Mitchell with 437 speed, no way in hell does he not get drafted this coming draft? Well, I think you always still have some of those guys fall through the cracks. You know, somebody will run a great 40 time that maybe on film doesn't, you know, shock the world to some of these GMs. I'm still amazed with some of the eyes that some of these team, these player evaluators have when it comes to the draft, because sometimes the picks are just you You look at some of the people that do get picked and where they're picked compared to some of the guys that don't get drafted or some of the guys that fall to the back into the draft. It's just like I don't know what some people are watching. But, yeah, I mean, you you can't teach speed. You can't teach speed. And you're starting to see some of these guys in the NFL um, that are excelling despite being UDFAs or despite being fifth, sixth round picks that they've got the speed element and you put them in the right sort of offense. You mentioned the Miami off these offenses that are tailored to speed, because I do think the offense matters. I don't think the bears can go out there and just say, we're going to draft a four two guy and put him in our offense and he'll be great because the bears have shown to this point, at least they don't utilize speed probably the way that they should. But some of these teams that do prioritize that speed because they know that their scheme can get the most out of it, yeah, you you probably will see them start to swing for some of these guys. And I think the Ravens will be one of those teams. Right. All right. Cordell, always a pleasure to talk football with you. This has been – the time flies by. We go down some rabbit holes, but I just love talking ball with you. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online or about your show on 105.7 or whatever else you'd like to plug. Yeah, uh, my show, Shaking It Up Sports on 105.7 The Fan. You can check me out weeknights on The Fan. You can download the Odyssey app if you're not in your car. You can uh, listen right there on the app. Also, the Win and Drive podcast with me and my co-host, Rita Hubbard from 105.7 The Fan. Uh, you can get that podcast anywhere you get your podcast from. We do a deep dive on every Ravens game. And throughout the week, we have a bunch of different topics that we talk about. We take uh, questions and comments from listeners as well. So, yeah, we're, we're I'm pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts or listen to a radio station. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. Cordell, great follow on Twitter. Make sure you, you, you catch up with them there and Rita as well. Uh, Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. We're coming up on a second bye week that we're very proud to have. 
and would love to talk to you about anything you're passionate about. If the topic relates to the Ravens playoffs in particular, I'll try and get that process very quickly, and we'll be talking uh, to see if we can develop a kernel for that show and 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 get it going right away. Uh, if it doesn't, and it can wait till the offseason, we, we may reschedule for then, but uh, I still want to hear your ideas. Please hit me up. Cordell, pleasure again to be on. Thanks for coming. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.